Say chicas. Many thanks for joining me on the Joy of Paddle podcast, spreading and sharing the supreme delight of this wonderful and fast-growing game. I'm your host, Minter Dial, and this podcast is brought to you by Paddle 1969, the largest manufacturer of premium paddle courts. One court for life by Paddle 1969. The Joy of Paddle is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information about this network, please go check out their site, evergreenpodcasts.com. So this is the second season for The Joy of Paddle. And as with last season, we'll be running an episode once every fortnight. Please let us know what you think about the show by putting up a rating and a review. So for this number two episode of the second season, it's with Jack Binstead. Jack's a multi-talented actor and athlete. He's best known for his role as Rem Dog in the popular BBC comedy series Bad Education. Through his work, Jack has become an advocate for greater diversity and inclusivity in the entertainment industry, helping to promote a more authentic representation of people with disabilities. He's also an athlete, having represented Team GB and having discovered Paddle in the summer of 2023, he has founded and participated in the Team GB Adaptive Paddle. He practices and plays at the Rocks Lane Club in Chiswick, a 10-court club that I love to play at, founded by the Warren Brothers, that is proudly promoting inclusivity in this sport. Jack played in the inaugural Inclusive Paddle Tour in Dubai. In this conversation, we discuss his life journey, picking up paddle and what are his favorite paddle shots and pro players. An inspiring, uplifting, dare I say joyful conversation. Vamos! Jack Hot Wheels with a Z, Beanstead. <laughs> it is great to have a left-hander on my show. Um, I, I've, I got to see you play. We go to the same club. And, and uh, I'm really very excited to have you on my show. In your own words, Jack, who is Jack? Well, uh, I am Jack. I am a 27-year-old um, actor by trade turned sportsman. And I am currently captain of the England Adaptive Paddle Team. Holy smokes. So actor, let's go with, start with that. The, how sure. did you get into acting and what sort of acting did you do? <laughs> So I actually started out as an athlete when I was about nine years old. I got um, introduced to disability sports. It wasn't something that I'd ever uh, thought about. It, it wasn't something that I knew that I could do with my disability. Um, but I was always very keen to play sports. And so I ended up having a junior career as a wheelchair racing athlete, um, which which it was incredible for me. It really gave me this confidence and this lease in life to, to go out there and achieve. Um, and I, I went and set records and I went and traveled around Europe and I, and I, I competed in, in a lot of high level events. And that led to me being recognized by a um, an agent, a TV agent who had her own agency, which was specifically for people with disabilities. Um, and, and she wanted me to be on her books. She said I had a, a great confidence on TV when I was interviewed from the racing. Um, 
no, I, I took the opportunity. Why not? You know, it, it wouldn't hurt. It's a great, great opportunity to take on board. And, and uh, that then led to me having a few modeling gigs. I had a few auditions and I then landed uh, a comedy TV series on BBC Three called Bad Education, which was uh, a very controversial comedy written by Jack Whitehall. Um and I had a really great time on that show. I was one of the lead characters. We filmed uh, free series and then the movie. Um, and it, it went on for a few years. It was a really big job. It changed everything for me. Um, and I'd done various acting roles in, in the years leading on from that. Um, I, I was quite okay to leave that life behind once I became a dad. And I sort of had other responsibilities in life other than just sort of you know, myself and, and having fun and, you know, I had to take on a, a different approach to life, which I was very happy to do. If I was able to fit acting into that world, then of course I would do so. So I'm still loosely involved in the industry. Uh, I still, I'm still with the same agent all these years later. It's been, it's been like 15 years now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a real whirlwind and um, I've loved every bit of it. It it reminds me a little bit of of Jack of uh, Sinner, the um, Australian Open double uh, opens winner, newly crowned, where he was footballer, um, and he had another sport that he was uh, very keen on. He ended up playing tennis, and and what I'm thinking, Jack, is you've experienced multiple things, and I'm wondering to to what extent that combination of things has brought you to where you are. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big believer in in life. You, you know, it's almost like the butterfly effect. You do something, and as a result, that leads on to something else, and that is a chain effect of of you making you know the decisions that you make in life. You end up meeting people who have similar interests, and and then they have interests that are sort of along the same path. But you know, rather than acting or radio, it's podcasting, and, and you go and you know start a podcast, or you know you get into modeling, or you start doing art and dance, and you sort of there's there's branches uh, that come off of that. And you know, I, I left sport behind when I was about sixteen years old because I had it in my head that acting was like this was me for the rest of my life. This is my future, and I got into my early twenties and you know had done well you know, just sort of following that path in life I was so happy to leave sports behind and never really gave it a second thought but yeah ultimately I do believe that I've sort of got to where I am now because I've I've met the right people who introduced me to certain things and so I think you're right I think it's a real combination of events yeah I was remembering Sinner was also a skier the interesting thing there was sort of the combination of different skills and everything. So Jack, before we get into your paddle life, uh, yeah. I think it's really important to talk about the disability that you have, because the way I listened to it when we were talking before is like, you do sports with that, not, <laughs> not the, not the wheelchair, but your, why you're in the wheelchair. Yeah, so I have a, a genetic uh, disability called brittle bones. It does exactly what it says on the tin. My bones break uh, easier than normal. And I'm fortunate that as an adult, I don't experience too much, uh, too, too much new injury to myself. Um, it's not totally impossible. It's still easier than it is for you guys. But a lot of my damage was done as a kid. Um I've had 25 plus surgeries. I have titanium rods and pins in all my legs. And, and you know, I've broken somewhere near 100 bones in my life. Um, 
but I, I've been quite fortunate as an adult to not be too massively affected um, by by my experiences and, and paddle and so forth. So I think I'm quite lucky in that respect. Well, which is a remarkable attitude because I, I've done, I've had three surgeries in my life, my shoulder and knees. And, and the idea of getting back on skis because my knees are, have done the surgery and all that um, is almost traumatizing. And I can't imagine what it's like to have had so many breaks, surgeries and all that, yeah. and yet throwing yourself into sports. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I think the first, the first sort of, the most part, 10 years of my life was me trying to live an ordinary life, go to school, have friends and, and do sports and go to my friends' parties and sleep over. And I, I did my very best to sort of live that, that normal life. And every couple of months, there was a big leg break or an arm break or something that got in the way. And I was, I was, you know, drawn towards this this second life that I had, which was pain and frustration and anger and, and, and me sitting in a hospital ward, you know, just not able to move, which was a nightmare for me because I just loved moving and playing sports and being free, you know, and I couldn't do that. So I think once I sort of got to a certain point, sort of my early teens, for me, that was like, this is kind of an opportunity to go off and just do as many things as humanly possible and then choosing the ones that I want to stick with in life so but I mean I I don't know too much about how I curated the um, the mentality to be able to do that I think I just I set loose goals and if I was able to achieve those it then gave me the the, the leeway to create new goals and and it was ticking them off one by one rather than aiming so high that you can't even see it it was actually achieving you know even if that meant like being able to get out of bed and just sitting in my wheelchair, you know, the, the difference between the two actually can be incredibly drastic if you take into account what you've been through. Um, and you, 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 it's a lot of mind over matter. There's obviously the physical element to it. You're healing broken bones. But um, I, I, I remember this. I broke my tibia and my fibula completely in half five days before the London Junior Marathon when I was 12 years old and I spent my whole winter training for it. And um, I, I broke it five days beforehand. And um, I, I said to the doctors, I said, I don't know what you got to do here, but I have a race to do on Sunday. And they looked, they laughed at me. <laughs> like, there's no chance, dude, your leg is hanging off. Like, there's, there's no way. And I made them put my leg in, in, a, in a back slab. So I got just a, a sort of temporary version of a plaster cast. Uh, that only went up to the knee, which they, they weren't advising. They, they wanted to be above the knee. And I told them, no, you can't do it. And I got into my racing wheelchair on the Saturday, and I, I gave it a little push up and down my road to see if it was possible. And ultimately, I, I knew that it was entirely possible for me to start this race. Uh, my pain threshold was, of course, a lot higher than most people's, but it, to that degree, I was impressed. And I got on the start line, and the, the, the horn went off, and we all started racing. And my dad actually, he he had he trained with me when I was on the road. He had his bike, and he actually cycled the the, the path of the London gym just in case I had to tap, tap out. You know, I could make the whole thing. And um, at one point in time, he was just cycling along, and he was like, "Where the hell is Jack? I can't. I don't know where he's gone." And he went back because he figured I'd tapped out and stopped, and he hadn't realized. 
And next thing he knows, he's got a call come through from my mum, and he, she goes, "Where are you?" And he goes, "I'm looking for Jack." And she says, "He won. He came through the finish line." And, oh and my he's, god! He's got his gold medal and his trophy. He's about to meet Richard Branson, who gave me that. You know, and he, I just, I sped off. I had my head down, and I just was determined to do it. And um, I won London Junior Marathon that year with a broken tibia and a broken. Fibula, yeah, the two, the two shin bones, the two bones there, yeah. I, I'm, I'm prepared to swear at this point. <laughs> um, I mean, as in, oh my golly gosh. Um, so that was a reduced version, but let's, um, let's talk about your arrival to paddle. So you've mm. done all this. I mean, amazing work through psychologically. I'm going to say, right. physically. Um, you also are the father of a gorgeous girl, Daisy, as I understand. And yes. um, and then all of a sudden, paddle tennis, which has nothing to do with marathon running. No. What what on earth got you into paddle? How did that happen? <laughs> so um, I have a very good friend of mine um, called Luke Dolphin, who is now the England Adaptive Paddle Coach. Um, he's a fantastic Rocks Lane and paddle coach, uh, Babalat sponsored player. And he, well, I've known him since my late teens. We, we don't live too far from each other. So we, we've met each other through friends and out socially uh, and kept that friendship up. We, we also worked in similar industries, in cybersecurity, and, and that's the sort of areas we worked, nine to five life over the course of our 20s and in one day he turned around and he said uh i'm leaving cybersecurity." and i said well okay why what are you gonna do and he, he said i'm gonna coach paddle tennis I, i've never heard of this in my life i don't know what you're on about and he said no it's just great you know because he had a background in tennis anyway and so does his dad and um and i'm gonna go i'm gonna go play Paddle, and I'm going to coach it at Rocks Lane in, in, in Chiswick. I'm going to go in. And, and a few times over the course of the summer last year, he said, come down, come play paddle, you're going to love it. And, I, and a few times like, I heard him and they said, yeah, I mean, okay, sure. Like, I'll, I'll do that. And yeah, and I just didn't do it. And then about the third or fourth time he said it, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm available right now. I'm in between jobs. I, I've got the time to do it, so I'm going to go. And I turned up at Rock Lane for my first session. And I've never played racket sports in my life. I don't have a tennis background. Um, I, I very much wish I chose tennis over mar the marathon racing in hindsight, because I could have I could have had many many years on the tennis court to my name at this point in time. But I I, I was given a, a racket and I was taught the rules and, and the way of playing and. Um, I smashed this ball around the court for an hour and I, and I really opened some eyes. They couldn't believe that I had never played a racket sport before. And ultimately that then, for me in that moment, I, I was going through some stuff my, mentally last year. I was in a, a bit of a darker place than I am now, fortunately. And um, I, I, in that moment when I was playing paddle, everything went away. Every bad thought and every every frustrating you know contemplation in my mind and I, I was in between jobs and financially struggling but in, in this minute I just forgot everything I had the best hour it was so good you know there's some people go to the gym and they and they lift weights or they do some cardio and that gets rid of their you know their issues and their stress even if it's temporarily they, it helps them out and I don't get that from gym that doesn't work for me and 
Um, but I got it with paddles and, and I bent, and I ended up coming back, you know, near enough every day for a month. I, I didn't go home. I just played paddle. Um, and I learned in that time that there wasn't an, a wheelchair team in England. It wasn't entirely clear how many people in wheelchairs played paddle in the country, even leisurely. I knew of myself and one other person initially. But I knew that there was teams, like big, big teams, 20, 30 players to a team in countries like Spain, Italy, uh, across South America. And there were associations for paddle, for people who are in wheelchairs. And it's referred to as adaptive paddle as opposed to wheelchair paddle. I guess it depends on the association that you're playing under because there's um, the inclusive paddle tour, which I'm very proud to be part of. And then there's the... Um, the, the adaptive paddle association which is just wheelchairs um and i and I, I like that i like that it's not referred to necessarily as wheelchair paddle because my teammate rob teague for the england wheelchair paddle team or england adaptive paddle team i should say um he he isn't in a wheelchair unless he's playing tennis he has a disability but he's not a wheelchair user until he plays tennis and then he sits in a wheelchair and does it um, so I kind of like that for like the sake of the inclusivity, like it gets more people with disabilities playing, and that's ultimately what it is. It's a, a, a dis disability, or it's a, a disability version of a sport. So, wow. Um, so I want to say kudos to Luke. Uh, mm. Hopefully, you get to listen to this. That sounds like a beautifully generous, spirited man that you have as a friend. Definitely. And then the, my little wonky brain goes, I think we all have disabilities at some level. I mean, some people, I think I, I watch them and they have, you know, two able legs, two able arms, but they can't hit a fucking lob for their lives. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the disabilities, is, it's a broader spectrum. It's like, you know, rigid thinking is a disability for me yeah. and not wanting to bend your legs even though you can is a disability at some level because you're just not wiring yourself. So you're, you've now explored paddle. Now you represent GB for the adaptive team. Mm -hmm. And um, how do you describe how, what paddle has brought to you today? I'm, I'm very grateful for paddle. I feel like it's, you know, an opportunity that came around at the right time in life. You know, I, I very much lived my life looking for the next sign. That's something I adapted when I was quite young was, was I'm going to follow the signs in life. If something, you know, comes my way and it comes and, it, and it's somewhat convenient, you know, or a message. I look at a bus randomly and I read the message of the bus. And does that apply to my life right now? Was that a sign that bus couldn't, it didn't need to have drove past me? I don't have to be on this road at this point in time. I very much look for this sort of stuff in life for guidance. And, you know, the fact that Luke had brought this up to me, this was an opportunity. I, I needed something actually. I knew that I needed something to take my mind off where I was and a new opportunity in my life. The fact that this came around, um, I just felt like I had to actually go and take this and explore this. And I very well could have continued to say no, like I had done the first couple of times and we wouldn't be here now as a result. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for what Paddle has done. I'm very excited for what's to come. There's a lot at stake here. 
Uh, and there's a lot of plans that we now have as a team at Rock Slay. Um, so yeah, I'm incredibly grateful and I'm incredibly excited. And um, I feel like we can definitely make a big change here for other people. I think it's worth giving a good old hat tip to Chris and Drew Warren mm. at, at Rocks Lane, which is in Chiswick in the west side of London, for those of you listening from afar. And uh, they have really shown a good commitment to this idea of adaptive. And I love the idea how you just said before, I had to adapt. At some level, that, that it's sort of like a life skill is learning how to adapt. Mm. So let's, Jack, for, for those of us, you know, who are listening, most of us are, are typically able-bodied, playing paddle. Yeah. How is paddle different in adaptive paddle? Um, in terms of actual rule sets, the, the, the only change is that we get two bounces like you do in wheelchair tennis. Um, everything else is very much the same. Um but the way in which we play and the, and the, and the techniques behind what we do, uh, that, that's where you see the, the, the largest of differences. Um, and as well, you know, it's worth mentioning as well that because two people in wheelchairs are playing side by side or because uh, or against each other even, it's not to say that they're playing the same technique or the exact same way because that's where the difference in disability very much, you know, has an impact on how you play the game. Uh, myself and Rob on the England team, we're both fortunate to have uh, full feeling to our legs and we both have core muscles. So that very much allows us to play a different way to somebody who would be paralysed from the waist down. Um, or somebody who has perhaps limited movement in their hands or their fingers. Um, they would typically play a different way to us, even though we're both in either disabled people or you know, in wheelchairs or um, that, that. Whereas you guys would able body people would typically all play kind of the same way, you know, um, you'd have we, your we, we have we're completely incompetent to understand and translate when I'm listening to you, Jack, you, you talk about you know paralyzed from the waist down some element of core able mm. to move the legs my ability to translate that and understand what that is is mm -hmm. for me anyway i'm maybe just because i'm mentally incompetent i just don't even gauge it's not even a factor of a thought so it's really interesting for you to bring the nuance of how the different types of disabilities create different abilities yeah and, yeah and challenges yeah absolutely i you know i i think i have a, a, a maybe a, a better understanding than some around this because of my background with the with the wheelchair racing because at that level playing that sport there was enough of us worldwide and there's enough of us in the uk that you had clubs of of people with disabilities competing and so you had disability classification as you would do at any Paralympics, and, and you know, any again, you'd be classified as, as an able bodied athlete, but we had disability classification, and that's very much put you into groups based on your disability. So, you would never find someone with cerebral palsy running the same hundred meters as someone who was a dwarf because the abilities and what you're able to do is very much different. So I was I was in the, the sort of most able whilst being disabled 
other categories because I had access to my core muscles and I had full use of my hands and arms. And that's in uh, running or in, 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 in race, marathon yeah, yeah. racing. Yeah, it, that's track and field. Less so in the field, less so in, in, in road racing, they kind of all put you on one start line. But if you're racing on a track, then they would do all the T54s, as I was referred to, track 54. We would all race together. You wouldn't find somebody who was a T54 competing against somebody who was a T53, because as the numbers go down, the disability heightens. And so actually, you know, as a T54, 15-year-old athlete, my 400-meter personal best was was somewhere around, I think it might have been somewhere around 55 seconds. And if you look at what the world record was for a T52, for example, which is paralyzed from about chest down, I had broke their world record twice over. You know, and, and I wasn't a world record holder. So that's because the disability is incredibly more severe as you go along. So it has to be fair. And that's not been adapted into paddle yet because there's not enough of us that actually were in classification. Well, just um, to lean into that thought, Jack, at 15, I think I was at 58 seconds for my 400 meters. Okay. <laughs> so you would have whomped me. Um <laughs> Um, so in terms of your paddle today, you represent Britain what, what, or England. What does, that, what does that look like? Do you get to play in international tournaments? Yes, yes. So when I, when I discovered that there wasn't really any other wheelchair players playing, I did a little bit of searching and I made some, some great contacts within the LTA um, who gave me some insight towards wheelchair tennis players who... Um, perhaps were great fits for paddle. Um, I, I was in contact with um, Albania Rudd from the um, Adaptive Paddle Association. She's based in, in France. And she gave me um, some insight again towards people that had emailed her regarding disability paddle and adaptive paddle. And she gave me the, the, the name and number and email of a few English wheelchair users who, who were interested in paddle so i contacted them myself and said look i'm trying to build the the first england wheelchair team are you are you interested and it was like, like you said a massive shout out to, to um chris and drew warren because for them they really uh, they have this vision of making paddle more inclusive and they've really embraced that and, and that you know is 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 Incorporate through the entirety of Rocks Lane isn't just a vision for them, it's a vision for the club as a whole. And um, they've been invaluable help towards achieving this. But I managed to get some some wheelchair tennis players down and I, I managed to source wheelchairs uh, through through the, the Dan Maskell Trust and, and through Mark Bullock at the LTA. Um, and so I'm in the process of growing this team. And we do compete internationally. I was approached by the Inclusive Paddle Tour, um, which is, is run by a, a very amazing man called Alessandro. Um, and, and through that, we've now competed in Dubai and in Milan. So it's I, I never it, it did I imagine when I, I didn't know what paddle tennis was in July. But I started playing it in August and I was in Dubai for a long weekend in November. So you can see how quickly we managed to, to sort of 
turn this around and, and make it into something. Deeply adaptive, Jack. Um, tell me, just from a techno standpoint, um, you're left-handed. Uh, yeah. How different is your paddle wheelchair versus a, your regular wheelchair? I mean, I know you drive, you have your uh, Mobi, Mo, Motobility, um, I, which I've seen, which is a great video, fun for everyone to watch. Yeah. But how, is, how different is the, the wheelchair? Because, I mean, frankly, you, got, you have to have one hand, I'm, I mean, really, on the wheel moving you. Because you have the other hand that has the bat, so it can't yeah. be using at the same time. And and how does how does the wheelchair itself help you? And how do you you know adjust or design the proper wheelchair for you? So there isn't such a thing at this point in time as a as a paddle wheelchair. Um, we use tennis wheelchairs because you wouldn't really need too much of a modification to adjust between the two sports. Um, a tennis wheelchair does exactly what you need it to do in paddle. Um, generally speaking, a tennis wheelchair would be somewhere in the region of about seven to eight kilos in weight. Um, the wheels are slanted on the axis so that you are able to turn a lot faster, which is required in tennis in order to get the ball. Um, and the bit, ultimately, it's a very lightweight piece of kit. Um, the wheelchairs that myself and, and Rob are currently using on the England team are very, very basic chairs, which um, the Dan Maskell Trust, uh, incredible trust, uh, have got a, a range of, of chairs and they're, they're meant for people at different levels in, in different racket sports. So these are very basic chairs. They're very heavy and they're not ideal. Uh, the wheelchairs actually weigh 15 kilos, so they're they're very basic. But they're sort of chairs that you would send out in bulk to countries in Africa for kids with disabilities over there to try sport for the first time, and it's an incredible, you know, experience for them. It really gives them a lot of hope and opportunity. And I, I've been using this chair now since August, and I'm very grateful for what I've been able to achieve in that chair. But the one of the big next steps for us at the England team is to uh, bring on sponsorship, which allows me to purchase uh, my very own tennis chair, which will be, you know, half the weight and will really allow me to, to excel to the next level. Yeah, especially since it's 15 kilos, you have one hand. I mean, I can just imagine what that weight is. So how can people, you know, if someone's listening who wants to contribute, donate yeah. what, what what is the method for that so i mean i i can be contacted on social media i have various so i have my own instagram yeah my own instagram story for paddle which is jack underscore paddle um you can message me on there and i can provide you with with the right emails for those who are involved with the adapted paddle team at rocks lane um we do have sponsorship for the team currently um a, a massive shout out to play brave sports um, they uh, they came on as a sponsor back in September, um, and, and they have they're invaluable in, in where we've got to so far because it allows us to train at Rocks Lane and it allows us to you know work on our skills and techniques and, and continue to compete. Um, so ideally, we need a few more sponsors who really want to get behind what we're achieving here. Um, this is a huge investment for a lot of people here. You know, what we're about to achieve with Paddle is, is 
unlike anything they managed to achieve in tennis. And that's a really big thing for me to say because, you know, wheelchair tennis is huge. It's probably one of the most populous disabled sports that there is worldwide. Um, but I know where Paddle is heading. I'm sure you do too. It's, it's, it's such a developing sport. And as far as disability sport goes, um, we haven't even started yet. We're about to achieve some incredible things. And I'm going to find a few thousand people eventually who want to be playing on teams. And there will be leagues. There will be clubs all over the country. And eventually, Paddle will be an Olympic and Paralympic sport, no doubt about it. And and we will be the ones who started the team that are allowing people to go and compete in the Paralympics. So um, it's, it's a big, big ask. And we can't do it without the help of other people who want to be part of that journey. Um, but contacting myself or contacting Rock Lane um, is is the best method of, of getting hold of us. Hello, freaking Lulia, Jack. I mean, I, <laughs> I want to just um, bring in a story because uh, the episode before this one will have been with the founder's son of Paddle. And the interesting <sighs> story is actually how the walls came around. Because in the end of the day, versus Paddle, tennis, sorry, where the ball can buy, go by you. Mm. And you can't really do much about that. You, is is you this the story in in 1969 in in New Mexico? In Mexico itself, in Acapulco. But here's the thing, Jack, yeah. actually. Enrique Corcuera Sr., I was having this with his son, Enrique Corcuera Jr., is that um, the father started playing fronton basque uh, or, or pelot basque which has a wall. And then eventually he added a tennis court and then he liked to play on the side with the wall because even if the ball went by him, it bounced on the wall and he mm. could play it. And ultimately versus lawn tennis, mm. paddle tennis, if even if I smack the ball by you, you know, you, if you anticipate well, are going to be rolling onto it and, and you know, feeding me or eat, making me eat tennis ball or paddle ball because it's come off the back wall. Whereas mm. if I'm in tennis, and, and that is also true of, of uh, adaptive tennis, is if I if hit the ball and I, and I whiz it by you, two bounces or not, goes by you, you can't get it back. Mm. And I must say, I did watch the um, adaptive tennis at Roland Garros, sorry, paddle tennis at Roland Garros. They did an exhibition match and I was there to watch it. I filmed it. And I really enjoyed it. And the, of course, the commentary also helped because we have to learn what it's like. So yeah. listen, let's talk about just for a couple more minutes, Jack. Um, and, and I usually ask this of everybody. So don't be afraid. What, what sort of animal are you as a paddle tennis player? That's a great question. What animal? You know, I'm going to have to go with... Uh with the chimp i'm gonna have to go with the monkey i think um i i <laughs> i feel like they're incredibly cheeky and, and mischievous animals and that very much sums me up in general um but there, there's i get taught by by luke and by the coaches at rocks lane how to, to play paddle you know and it's life 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 and i struggle a little bit with my flight, I do. 
And uh, and I sort of I, I'm constantly thinking of, of other creative ways to get the ball over the other side of the net uh, without having to slice it. <laughs> uh, and I, I struggle with my slice. There's a very there's a very apt reason for it, which is that I am the same height as the bloody net. So um, there's about that much of a, of a window for that ball to to slice over the net to actually be a slice and not you know a topspin. Or, um, or a, a sort of a woolly slice or one that just sort of floats. Yeah, yeah I, I do that probably more so than that sort of very attacking quick slice. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning. I'm learning every single week and I will become a lot better with the slice, no doubt about it. But I, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit creative. I'm a little bit cheeky. And like I would put myself down as a as like a baby chimp. I wouldn't even say a fully grown one, a baby one. <laughs> We're always learning, Jack. What's your favorite shot? My favorite shot of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, you meant a shot on the. Oh, oh yeah. yes, Jack Cheeky, old sod that you are. Yeah, I got you, man. I got you. Um, my favorite shot. I mean, my favorite shot to watch is most definitely that sort of finishing smash. It's just so aesthetically pleasing to, to watch the ball fly and when they return it back into the court that's 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 doubly as incredible um but my favorite shot to pull off would probably be that really really powerful backhand top spin straight into the corner of the of the court nice i'm just imagining backhand so you play on the usually I'm on, on the, the right you I'm play on, on the, the right, right side i got it yeah love it I have two yeah. left-hand, two left-handed children, by the way, although I'm a righty. And uh, what's your shot you're trying to work on? Most definitely the forehand slice. Ha. Most definitely. Luke, he's listening to you. Um, <laughs> what about what about other paddle players that, ins- that inspire you? Um, I, I I really enjoy um, Alejandro. Who is an incredible? Uh, I don't know, he's Alejandro Grillo. Um, he, Alejandro he's a, Grillo Acosta. Acosta, um, a, a Rocks Lane coach who was um, top top thirty five, thirty in the world at one point in time. Watching him play, it's it's just he makes it look so effortless to just be brilliant. Poetry, poetry, oh, it's just, yeah, just so it's like a a warm bath on a cold winter's morning. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's just so lovely to see. And so I really enjoy him. He's taught me a lot too. He's had a few training sessions with me and, and um, he, he, you know, has never spent, well, as far as I know, has never spent a day of his life in a wheelchair and certainly hasn't played wheelchair sports. And uh, his foresight, his, his, his sort of ability to, to look at my situation and the way that I'm having to play and then come up with a solution that I haven't figured out as somebody who's been in a wheelchair for 25 years is pretty remarkable um, to, to have that knowledge just, you know, stored away um, is incredible. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I haven't seen a great deal of, of able body paddle because I mean, I've seen clips all the time. I see clips. And, so I don't really know too many actual able body paddle players. It, 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 I have loads on my Instagram. People follow me. I love watching clips. But I haven't really paid too much attention, actually, to able-bodied paddle. I'm very focused on, on, you know, growing what I've started here, and 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 you know, eventually along the way, 
we will be playing in the same tournaments as these people. Uh, and that's when I'll really see their poetry come to life and then their their way of playing. And I'm sure I'll learn lots. And I'm very adamant as well. I'm very sure they'll learn from us too. No doubt. Oh boy. Um, I know that you were in Italy and and you kind of, I don't want to call it a boy crush, but it seemed that you had a high regard for Marcos. Yes, Marcos is an incredible player. Um, he, he's somebody that, that amazes me. He, I first saw him do this when he was competing in Dubai back in November, but there was a shot that I played against him. It was, it was kind of a lob, a lob and, and it went over his head towards the back of the, the back of the glass. And he didn't turn round. He didn't chase the ball and then turn his wheelchair around to get behind it to send it back. What he did was he just wheeled his wheelchair backwards. So his back facing the ball. And he had the perfect timing to just flick his arm like that behind his back and produce off enough, the back wall. Off, off the, the back, back wall. wall. Behind him, off the back wall, just like that. Enough power to send it off the glass and back over the net. And I saw him do this three or four times. It wasn't a fluke. He did it three or four times over the course of a day. Most definitely a last resort shot because the, the timing to, to pull that off is, is pretty remarkable. But Marcus is such a beautiful man to watch and, and to engage with. And um, he, he's also somebody who's in, in the process of helping us obtain our own tennis wheelchairs. Um, he has a lot of contacts himself. So... Um, he, he's definitely someone I'm going to stay close to over the years. I absolutely adore that anecdote with Marcos because um, the other day I was uh, on a court with three ladies talking about paddle and, and they said, how do you, how do you get that, you know, that, that shot off the back wall? Yeah. And I, I was explaining them and these are three able-bodied ladies and, and, and it's still a very complicated shot. So, well, Credit to Marcos. Uh, it's beautiful yeah. to hear. Last question for you, Jack. What is, what is the life lesson that in this short time that you have been experiencing paddle, uh, that paddle has brought to you? I think it's important I, to, to, to really take a step back from what you're wanting to achieve in your life and listen for what else is available to you. Cause I definitely wasn't looking for paddle, but it was right there. And I had to really, you know, excuse the pun, but I had to take a step back and, and I had to, you know, listen to other people and what they were saying and what they were presenting to me. And, and that then led to me being where I am now playing paddle and, and creating a new Paralympic sport. Um, so I think it's important to really take that time to, to listen to others. Uh, I think it's, it's something that we definitely don't do enough in life. If you think about your day-to-day -day life, how, how often do you actually listen to other people? And, you know, the, and the ego, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, 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 it's worth mentioning that paddle won't be for everyone. You know, there will be, tennis players who just what sorry whoa, whoa, whoa. sorry no, excuse I, me i'm i, I, I can't i can't believe what you're saying i'm having no, i'm having a moment it's worth mentioning i i you know i i don't want to be part of a sport that's just populated by people who don't want to be playing it i think I, I i love to play against people who act and you know actively enjoy what they're doing i i i knew wheelchair racers who wished they weren't wheelchair racers 
but they didn't have another sport to go into because that's a completely different way of doing things. And they, they'd rather be playing basketball, but they were wheelchair racers. They didn't have a team to play on. It's a team sport. You couldn't just go and do it yourself because then you'd look lonely and silly, wouldn't you? And so they, they continued wheelchair racing, but they didn't want to be doing it at that point in time. They were just doing it out of force of habit. They were good at it, so they just continued doing it. There are people out there who who, who will try a paddle and, and, they'll, and they'll go, you know what? I prefer tennis. I prefer being able to send that ball past somebody and they're not able to return it. I like the fact that the courts are larger in tennis, you know, and they'll have their reasons for it and that's fine. But I feel like there's a lot more people out there who have no clue what paddle is yet and they are in for a real treat when they do discover it because it probably will change their lives. Jack Hot Wheels Beanstead, our very own paddle (laughs) bad boy, uh, great to have you on the show. What's the last word for the joy of paddle? Last word, support us at the uh, England Adapted Paddle Team. We're on to really big things. Uh, Rocks Lane are, are incredible. Um, shout out to Luke, Dolphin, uh, Chris and Drew Warren uh, and Emma Warren as well um, at Rocks Lane. They're all working so hard to, to achieve greatness and they're doing so well at doing that as well. And um, you'll be seeing a lot more of us, no doubt about it. We've got plenty of international tournaments lined up this year. Um, but yeah, if you want to be part of this crazy journey that we're creating here and, and all these opportunities for others, then uh, please do make contact with us. And um, let's just, let's go play paddle. And the best ways to get contact with you, Jack? Uh, my Instagram is jack underscore paddle. So you can contact me that way. Um, or you can get in contact with Rox Lane themselves uh, if you ask for Luke Dolphin or you ask for Chris or Drew Warren. Um, then you can uh, get in contact that way, and we can that can lead to some meetings and some chats about how you can help. Vamos. Eh, perfecto. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. So I hope you've enjoyed this Joy of Paddle episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to be the first in queue for the next episode. And if you like what you hear, please do share around with other paddle aficionados. This is a sport that deserves to be played by absolutely everyone. And if you've got a story that you'd like to share, please send me an email or, a, better yet, a voice note at nmintadial at gmail.com. With that, thanks for listening. And see you on the next episode of The Joy of Paddle Podcast. Vamos! Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.